Good morning, everybody. Are you excited to be here together? Amen. It's wonderful to be here worshiping the Lord together in person. And boy, we, we just don't want to forget what a blessing that is. And I do want to remind you, if you're new to our church, especially fill out one of those cards uh, that's there. Let us know how to contact you or any information you need. If there's prayer requests that you have, put those on the back of those cards. I do want to make a special announcement. Happy birthday, Anna Dahl. Where are you at? Where, where is she? There she is. Say happy birthday to Anna this morning. Um, and praise team, what a great job they did this morning. Wasn't it nice to have Tyler out here playing the violin today? Wasn't that awesome? That, that was great. And it was nice to have John outside of his box and uh, out here with us. And, and welcome home, Josie Wright. Where is Josie? Over here. Yes. Josie and Hugh, of course, they, they got married and they're living in England now. But it's so nice to have you guys home. And uh, I know that uh, Clint and Lorenda are excited about that. Uh, today, we are continuing our study of Philippians. And we are going to focus on those relationships and friendships that we have in the Lord. What a blessing and a joy Christian brothers and sisters are to us. Amen? Amen. If you have a true Christian brother or sister and you have that relationship, you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, back in 1980, I began my first ministry. Some of y'all weren't even born in 1980, so don't even give it to me. But uh, I began my first ministry at Geneva Park Church of Christ up in Chesapeake, Virginia. Now, many of you know that's Jordan Clark's home church. Jordan's uh, dad was from there, and he, of course, would marry Natalie, and they would be living there and make that church their home. In fact, Gary's mom and dad, Gary's dad was an elder in the church, and uh, practically their entire family started this church, and they were very involved in the life uh, of the church and the community. When I was there as a youth minister, again, I told you it was my first ministry, uh, I was what you might call a little green, all right? I, I was a pure rookie. I had no idea what I was doing. I had a good heart, but uh, I had to learn a lot. And so the church was very gracious to even give me the job. But uh, the church was actually close enough to the Bible college that I attended, RBC, MACU today, that I could go every Wednesday and I could go on the weekends and uh, come back Sunday evenings. And, you know, they paid me pretty well for 1980 standards. I mean, $150 a week for a part-time gig, that was pretty good. Uh, with that, I was able to pay most of my school bill and have money for gas and food. And uh, like I said, the church was very gracious and uh, generous to me. One of the most gracious was Gary. In fact, his entire family, his mom and dad would often invite me over for lunch after church. You know, a college student, we need to be invited out for lunch. Are there any college students here today we need to invite out to lunch uh, I need to pay it forward. Uh, and, and, you know, that meant a lot. And this being my first ministry, I had no idea what I needed for an office. And my friend Gary took me sort of under his wing and 
took me out, got me a radio for my office, got me some plants to give a little life. I, I can't even remember, Gary, whether I had a window or not. Do you remember? I don't know. It seemed like it was a little dark in that room. But uh, he helped me gain some confidence and feel a little more professional. And he's still offering me books and advice if I'll take it, and, uh, or just his friendship. And Gary, you and Natalie uh, are special people to me, and I appreciate you. I will always be grateful for all that you have done. This isn't the first time I've said this, but I'll never stop saying it. Thank you, brother. I love you. Uh, especially in the early days of my ministry, uh, you know, having someone like that to come alongside to be your friend, to, to support you. Man, what a blessing that is. We've been friends over 40 years. I don't want to think about that too much. Uh, and th that's hard to believe, though, even though they've lived far away, over in Japan at times, and, you know, as he's worked on the aircraft carrier over there, uh, it's always as if we haven't missed a beat. You know, when you have friends... Uh, you have something special in life. Don't you agree? When you have Christian friends, you have a gift from God that will last throughout eternity. Not just in this lifetime. That's the whole friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them thing. You know, and, and it's true. Sometimes we can focus on the people we thought were our friends and they turn their backs on us. And that stings and that hurts, and we can uh, often uh, just go off into bitterness and pain because of that. But I believe, uh, am I having problems with my mic? How is that? Is that better? Wow! Wow! Can you hear me now? Could you hear me before? Mama said I had a big mouth. I didn't need a mic, Okay. But, but I believe that if we will stop focusing on the ones who let us down and start focusing on the ones who are there, we're going to discover some true gifts. Paul discovered it. Yes, he did have people in his life that he had put trust in and they had let him down and they had disowned him when he needed them most. Yes, that happened to Paul. But he also had friends, brothers like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Name your child Epaphroditus. Who's the next person having a baby here? Your child has, if it's a boy, Epaphroditus. Okay, that's a great name. In their friendship and their spiritual journey, Paul found joy. And I want to tell you, friends, that we experience joy as we share life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Paul mentioned these two brothers, now not, again, blood brothers, but spiritual brothers in particular who brought him joy. And from their example, we can see what true Christian friendship and family are all about. A true brother or sister in Christ will show genuine concern for your welfare. Now, think about that. A true brother or sister is going to show genuine concern. Now, as an example of this, Paul mentioned a young man named 
Timothy. So let's read together in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So what do we know about this young man named Timothy? Well, first of all, we know from other passages that his grandmother and mother were his early spiritual influences. His mother was Jewish. His father was Gentile. Paul considered him a son in the faith. In other words, Paul had been his mentor. He traveled with Paul, often did special errands for Paul. And Paul commends Timothy as someone who showed genuine concern for other people's welfare, specifically for the welfare of those Philippians uh, who were in the church there. The word translated genuine literally means born in wedlock or like a brother. The other words, or in other words, Timothy had great affection for the Christians in Philippi. He considered them his family. The word translated care is also often translated anxiety. The idea is that Timothy cared so much for these people that it absorbed his thinking. It, it was sort of a burden as he thought about them. He was always concerned about them and how they were doing. Now, Paul noted that no one else cared for the Philippians like Timothy did. Even the other Christians who were working with Paul cared more about themselves and their own welfare than they did about what Jesus thought. Timothy had proved that he was different. He had served Paul faithfully. Paul trusted Timothy so much that he was going to send Timothy back to the church in Philippi to help them. And when asked, Timothy readily accepted the challenge to go back and help the church. Now remember, when Paul wrote this letter, he's in prison. He can't go. But Paul had full confidence that Timothy would take care of things that needed to be done. And Paul said, I hope I'll go too, but Paul would never go back because he would be executed in Rome. Now, as I read this, there's two questions that pop in my mind. First of all, do I have friends like that? Do I have a friend like Timothy? Someone who is genuinely more concerned about me than they are themselves. Now, I have my blood brother, Mike, and I believe he would do that. In fact, he has done that. He's been for me in some difficult times. He probably saved me from making the biggest mistake of my life that I could have ever made. And, you know, I'm eternally grateful to him for all that he's done in my life. That's, that's my blood brother, Mike. 
My sister, too. I mean, whenever I, I have some issue going on, she's going to be there for me. But again, Paul's talking about those who are not blood brothers. You could say they're the blood of Jesus brothers, right? If I have a problem, these friends, these brothers will be there. At the drop of a hat in the middle of the night, they will be there. No questions asked, no ask too big, no ask too small. I believe that men like Gil and Dale and Greg and Mark and Jack and Alan and Glenn and Lee and Dennis and Mike and Lance and Trey and John and Lonnie and Heath and Brandon and Derek and Scott and Hammer and Ajay and Dean and Cruz and Donald and Joey and James and Stephen and Paul and Jerry and Ronald and Richard and Eddie and Dwight and Joey and uh, I think I said Joey twice. Hey, Matthew and Matt and Bart and Jordan and Gary and E.T. and Doug and Johnny and Michael and man, the list goes on and on and on. Now, why do I believe this? Over the years, these people have proven to be faithful, not just to the church, but to me personally. When I've needed help, they have been there. When I needed prayer, they have prayed. Several years ago, I was off in California for the North American Christian Convention, and I'd noticed before my trip that something was going on with my joints. They were just, things just weren't feeling right. In fact, when I boarded the plane here in Greenville, you know, you got to walk up those steps uh, to the plane. Man, I could, I could barely make my way up the plane. And when I got to Charlotte, I could barely carry my carry-on bag. And uh, a nice young man working for the airlines noticed, I guess, that old man who couldn't carry his bag. And uh, he came over and he helped me carry the bag to uh, my, uh, my place there that I was going, the gate. And I, I got to L.A., I rented a car and went to the hotel. And that night, I was hurting so bad that Every time I moved my arms or legs, I was just in excruciating pain. It was crazy. I mean, uh, it took me 45 minutes to crawl from my bed to the bathroom in the night. I finally decided, I ain't doing this anymore. I'm going home. I mean, if, if I can hurt this bad here, I can hurt this bad at home and I'm not going to the convention. I can't do anything. I knew I couldn't drive my car. I knew I had a couple of friends who were at the convention as well. So I contacted one of them, Eddie Lowen, and I asked him if, if he would mind taking me to the airport the next morning. And I explained my situation, and he said his wife and he would be there. I contacted the front desk, asked if somebody could come up, and I would pay them to pack my bags. And they sent somebody up. They didn't have a wheelchair at the hotel, but they did have some chairs, office chairs on wheels. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, was, I was trying to get ready for Eddie and Sharon in the morning, and I was crawling to the office chair, but I couldn't get up into the chair. So when Eddie and Sharon got there, they, you know, I, I told the guy to leave the door unlocked. So when they got there and they walked in the room, 
They saw me on the floor. I'm sure these images, if you remember that commercial with the old lady laying on the floor, help, I can't get up. You know, I'm sure that came to their mind. They, and they helped me get into the chair. They got my bags loaded up. Eddie took me uh, in the rental car while Sharon drove behind. And when we got to the curbside of the airport, Eddie paid the guy out of his own pocket to take me to my gate. And he took the rental back for me. And the story goes on that they, they didn't allow me on the plane because I couldn't walk. And so EMS had to come out and they took me to a hospital. And Chrissy, in fact, had to drop everything and she flew out there to be with me. And we found out it was just a bad reaction to some medicine I was on. Be careful of the medicine you get on. But I think about my friends, Eddie and Sharon, and how they dropped everything. Everything they were doing, everything they went there to do, they dropped it to come help me. And they were truly, genuinely concerned for me. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Thinking about these genuine brothers and sisters in Christ brings joy to my heart. Now, who's on your list? Do you have one friend or two like that? In your bulletin, there's a place where you can jot down a name or two. Why don't you put that name down and why don't you think about all that that person has done for you? And why don't you in the next day or two or week, why don't you contact them? Send them a note. Uh, don't just text them, but call them. Go see them. Let them know how important they are to you and how much joy they have brought to your life. Now, there's a second question that that passage makes me ask, and it's, it's a little harder question. Am I a friend like that? Again, this is a heavier question because it requires some introspection. Would anyone write my name if asked that question? If you aren't sure, then look in the mirror. What, what, what do you see? Am I really more genuinely concerned for other people than I am for myself? Am I only looking after my own self-interests? Do I cast aside the interest of Jesus? Or is obeying His will the most important thing in my life? These are questions each of us should ask ourselves. I want to be a genuine friend. Now, it is hard, I admit, as a pastor to be that close to over 300 people. I mean, it, it is hard. And so sometimes there's a smaller group. I mean, even Jesus had his disciples. But the point is that we all have the capacity to be that kind of genuine friend to those in our inner circle of friends. Thinking about Timothy brought joy into Paul's life, but he also had another person who brought him joy, and his name was Epaphroditus. And that brings us to the second point of our message today. A true brother or sister will risk something for your welfare. They will risk something. Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to help Paul. He was like a support staff that the church had sent uh, to Paul. And Paul had 
some high regard for this servant of God. So let's read verses 25 through 30. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may, be, uh, may have less anxiety. And so then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So what do we know about this guy, Epaphroditus, which, by the way, somebody's going to name their child Epaphroditus, okay? He was a member of the church in Philippi, and they sent him to Paul, as we mentioned, to help Paul out. He risked his health and his life to do this missionary work. He had been sent by the church to bring an offering from the Philippians to Paul in Rome. Now, let's get a little beyond what the passage will tell us. His name means charming or lovely, but it also had a very pagan meaning. Part of the name he had uh, was the name of a Greek goddess, Aphrodite, and it means belonging to or devoted to Aphrodite. That's interesting to me because it seems that he was definitely from a Gentile family. Obviously, if they had named him after a goddess, that would indicate something about their religious beliefs. But if his parents thought he would grow up serving Aphrodite, they, they turned out to be wrong because he served Jesus and he served his friend Paul. Now, Paul described him as his brother, his companion in labor, and his fellow soldier. And as he served, he became sick, and in fact so sick that he almost died. Now he would carry the letter Paul wrote the Philippians back to them. Paul commended Epaphroditus for his willingness to risk it all in the service of the Lord. He had proven to be a faithful and loyal brother. You know, as I think about Epaphroditus, those same two questions come to my mind. Do I have a friend who would be willing to risk even their life to help me? Now, thankfully, in my life, no one has had to risk their life or limb for me that I know of. However, there have been people to step up and help me when I was in need. When Christy's stepdad passed away and her mom was left with no insurance, the elders of the church helped us to bury him. And I'll always be grateful for that support. There was a time when I was in a financially stressful situation because I had helped someone who proved to be untrustworthy 
and I was left with a debt that I could not pay. A family in our church helped me, and I will always be grateful for them, for their love, because they were there for me when I needed it most. While I was in Bible college, a missionary from England came and visited the school. His name was Fred Miller, and he challenged us to go to England for the summer and do a missionary internship with them. So my friend Scott Taylor and I decided to take up the challenge. Now, Scott was graduating that year, and, and I would be heading into my senior year after that summer. Scott and I had risked our lives together taking Greek. Yes, we did. We would often study late into the night. I remember him being in my room, and I was on the bed, he was sitting at the desk chair. He would ask me a question from our textbook. As I'm trying to think of the answer, I would fall asleep. And then I would wake up and I would say, hey, Scott, what, what was that question? And when I asked him that question, he would wake up and he couldn't remember the question. <laughs> I don't know how we passed that class, but at least you know we were trying to study, right? Well, we went to England together, and I remember that first train ride from the airport. I don't think either of us had ever flown before, and so we were up the entire trip. We flew out of Philadelphia, which was near his home, and... Uh, <clears throat> We got in, we, we knew the train station we had to get off of uh, to meet the missionary. Um, but while we were riding in the train, we both fell asleep because we hadn't slept all night. That sounds like a recurring theme, doesn't it? And then we would wake up and think we had missed our station. Uh, long story short, we made it. Uh, we were some of the first 10 students that arrived. Fred took us to the airport and parked outside the airport to go in to meet another arrival. Of course, we weren't in a parking spot. I don't know why he did that. He just said, if a Bobby shows up, Bobby is policeman in, in uh, England. He said, if a Bobby shows up, just drive around the airport and come back here. Scott and I look at each other, and, and I said, I ain't driving. Now, you guys know they drive on the wrong side of the road. Now, now, Hugh would say, no, you guys drive on the wrong side of the road. Scott courageously took the wheel. He's much more adventurous than I am. I, I remember we turned around in a parking lot, and Scott forgot that you, you have to turn into the, the, the opposite side. You would, And some guy comes running out screaming at us. Uh, again, I don't know how we survived that either, but God was watching over us. His dad had bought him this brand new camera for the trip, and when we took a uh, trip to Stonehenge, um, and as we were looking at, I mean, there were places you could go up and take pictures, but Scott wanted to have a unique picture. I mean, it wasn't good enough just to get a normal picture. So we saw some mounds close by, and there was a fence, and there, there was a little path leading up to the top of the mound. And so uh, we said, well, hey, let's just go up that path. So we went up the path. We lay down. I remember there were some sort of wild weeds, wispy, looked like wheat sort of shooting up. And 
Scott got what I thought was a magnificent picture with the wild grass in front and Stonehenge in the distance. I mean, he was a natural. When we came back to the van, we climbed over the fence. A, a bobby was waiting for us. He said, you've set off all the alarms. What have you done? We were like, what, what, what do you mean? All we did was climb the fence and follow the path up there to take a picture. He said, what do you think the fence is there for? To keep the stones in or the people out? We were about to set the dogs on you. I, I really think Fred had something to do with this. But Scott and I had some great adventures. I don't have a doubt that if I needed something today, he would risk his life for me. We hardly get to see each other anymore. But I love him as a brother. And I know he loves me. And that relationship brings me joy. But I have to ask myself that other hard question. Would I be willing to risk my life to help my friends? Again, you never know until you are in a position to do something. We may hope we would do something in a serious situation like that, and in that moment we could freeze up, or we may think we don't have to, the courage to stand, and in that moment we actually act. Sort of reminds me of the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21. The father says to one son, go and work in the vineyard, and he refuses, but later he changes his mind and goes and works. And then the father went to the other son and said, go and work in the vineyard. The son said yes, and then he didn't go. So Some of us may say, yes, I, I know I would risk my life for my friends, and when the moment comes, we may not follow through. But I hope I would. I think I would. I pray that I would. Maybe that moment will never come. But I want to be ready should it ever come. Maybe we prepare for that moment and the small sacrifices we make each and every day. But I do want to be a friend like that, don't you? In fact, Scripture teaches me that is exactly who I should be in 1 John 3.16. We read, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And also Jesus said in John 15.13, greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus certainly set that example. The Scripture teaches me that this is the man that I need to be. I want to be that man. I want to be that kind of friend. How about you? Do you have friends like that? Do they give you joy? Again, there's a little spot where you could jot down a name. Is there somebody that you know, maybe they really did risk their life for you, or maybe you really believe they would, why don't you write that name down and maybe today or tomorrow or sometime this week, contact them, let them know how much you appreciate them, how much joy they bring your life. But then that hard question, are you a friend like that? Would you be a friend through thick and thin? I read about a friendship like that back in January the 8th, 2004. It seemed like just like any other day to Debbie Nichols and her friend Ann Heil. 
They're from Santa Margarita, California. At about 4 p.m., Debbie, an expert mountain bike racer, and Ann, a fitness instructor, set out on a bike trail in the Whiting Ranch Wilderness Park. It was a designated wildlife habitat located in south-central area of Orange County, California. Now, the park is popular with a lot of mountain bikers, and Debbie and Ann had ridden the trails there many times during the three years they had trained together. But the two friends encountered something on that day that was very unusual. And um, when they came up on a, a bike that was deserted on the trail, Another biker was already there using a cell phone to report this abandoned bike, so the two women continued on with Anne riding up front. Seconds later, Anne disappeared around the bend of the trail, and immediately Debbie heard her friend screaming. She said it was a scream like she had never heard before. Debbie rode quickly up around the bend to see Anne being dragged off the trail by a mountain lion. The cat had Anne's face and neck in its jaw and was dragging her friend into the thick brush. Debbie jumped off her bike. She threw the bike at the lion, but it didn't disengage. It didn't even look at her. Just as Anne's body was about to disappear in the brush, Debbie ran to Anne and grabbed her leg. A tug of war then ensued between Debbie and the cougar. Debbie remembered we were breaking through thick scrub oak as he pulled us 20 to 30 feet down the side of the hill, branches tearing at our limbs. I held on to Anne's leg with my right arm and kicked at the lion with my legs, screaming at it. Its jaws were going from Anne's face to her neck as it yanked us down the slope a few feet at a time. It was moving us quickly. Anne was, uh, remained conscious during the entire ordeal and later said she thought she was going to die until she heard Debbie yell this. I'm never letting go of you. I'll never let go. Debbie is a 48-year-old mother at the time, mother of four. You know, mamas can be tough, right? She said it was prayer that gave her the strength and courage to battle the cat. She says, I know the Lord's hand was over us because I felt strong the whole time I was fighting that lion, I just kept praying, dear God, give me strength, and that's what held me. Within minutes, the man who had been reporting the abandoned bike, still on his cell phone with the emergency dispatch, appeared at the top of the trail by the women's bikes, and he reported the attack in progress. And then another man rode up, and Debbie yelled at them, I can't hold on much longer. Please come down and help. And then the two men, they finally came down and they started picking up rocks and throwing at the mountain lion. One hit it in the back of the, its neck, caused it to disengage, but then it just grabbed Ann's neck again. But after a few more hits, the cat finally went away. Debbie and the two men attended to Ann until paramedics arrived 20 minutes later. While the paramedics were caring for Ann, one of the California Department of Fish and Wild Game said that he had just found the body of a man 
killed and mauled by the mountain lion in the brush near the abandoned bike. Steve Edinger, assistant chief with the department, later reported that a 122-pound male mountain lion was shot a few hours later when it returned to the place where the body was found. And then the results of their study found human tissue in the lion's stomach. Anne would undergo six hours of surgery, but she survived in no small part because she had a friend who would not let go. And the difference between Anne and the man who was killed was exactly that. Anne had a friend who would not let go. Can you imagine the joy that these two friends have whenever they think of each other? And it reminds me of a song. I wish we could play it, but because of copyright and stuff with Facebook, we can't. But Rascal Flatts sings this song. Anybody here like Rascal Flatts? Anybody? Okay. You know that song, I Won't Let Go. It's like a storm that cuts a path. It breaks your will. It feels like that. You think you're lost, but you're not lost on your own. You're not alone I will stand by you. I will help you through. When you've done all you can do and you can't cope, I will dry your eyes. I will fight your fight. I will hold you tight, and I won't let go. It hurts my heart to see you cry. I know it's dark, this part of life. Oh, it finds us all, and we're too small to stop the rain. Oh, but when it rains, I will stand by you. I will help you through when you've done all you can do and you can't cope. I will dry your eyes. I will fight your fight. I will hold you tight and I won't let you fall. Don't be afraid to fall. I'm right here to catch you. I won't let you down. It won't get you down. You're going to make it. Yeah, I know you're going to make it because I will stand by you. I will help you through. And when you've done all you can do and you can't cope, and I will dry your eyes. I will fight your fight. I will hold you tight. And I won't let go. We all have a friend like that, you know. His name is Jesus. And he's not physically here, but he does move in the physical beings of those who serve him. And when you are a friend like that, you are Jesus to them. I'm thankful for the friends I have like that. And I want to be a friend like that. Don't you? Father, thank you first of all for Jesus, who is a friend like that. He gave us his life. No greater love exists than the love he showed us. Thank you for the friends we have like that, friends who will sacrifice for us, friends who will be there no matter what. Father, help me be that kind of friend. Help me love like that. Help me serve like that. Help us all be like Jesus to those around. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.